Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 943. Well, Elidin asked, could you call it if you needed to? I hesitated. Maybe. Elidin nodded as if he understood, but probably not if someone were to ask you to. I nodded more than a little disappointed. Don't be discouraged. It will give us something to work toward. He grinned happily and clapped me on the back. But I think there's more to your story than you realize. You called more than the wind. From what you've said, I believe you called Felurian's name itself. I thought back. My memories of my time in the Fae were oddly patchy, none more than my confrontation with Felurian, which had an odd, almost dreamlike quality to it. When I tried to remember it in detail, it almost seemed as if it had happened to another person. I suppose it's possible. It's more than possible, he assured me. I doubt a creature as old and powerful as Felurian could be subdued with nothing more than wind. Not to belittle your accomplishments, he hurried to add. Calling the wind is more than one student in a thousand ever manages. But calling the name of a living thing, let alone one of the fae. He raised his eyebrows at me. That's a horse of a different color. Why would a person's name be so different, I asked, and then answered my own question. The complexity. Exactly, he said. My understanding seemed to excite him. To name a thing, you must understand it entire. A stone or a piece of wind is difficult enough. A person, he trailed off significantly. I couldn't claim to understand Felurian, I said. Some part of you did, he insisted. Your sleeping mind. A rare thing indeed. If you'd known how difficult it was, you never would have stood a chance of doing it. Since poverty no longer forced me to work endless hours in the fishery, I was free to study more broadly than ever before. I continued my usual classes in sympathy, medicine, and artificing, then added chemistry, herbology, and comparative female anatomy. My curiosity had been pricked by my encounter with the lockless box, and I attempted to learn something about Yillish story knots, but I quickly discovered most books on Yill were historical, not linguistic, and gave no information as to how I might actually read a knot. So I scoured the dead ledgers and discovered a single shelf of disused books concerning Yill in one of the unpleasant low-ceiling sections of the end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jeremy. Uh, now it's Jordana's turn to be away for some time. So that's right. No Jordana. What is she doing that's uh, you know funny and slightly embarrassing? Pooping. She's having a real yeah. long poop. Yeah, she she had a nasty. Uh, she had some bad Taco Bell, and well, she's paying for it. That's right. Uh, leaving leaving us to run rampant like uh, like monkeys let loose at the zoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without anyone to keep us in line. Like the monkeys at the zoo, they have, you know, there's always the lead monkey who's dressed up in like a marching band. Yeah, yeah. Uniform. yeah. Or like a little bellhop, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's always that monkey. Of course, they call him the bellhop monkey. Whatever happened to bellhops? That's a good point. I mean, I guess it depends where you go. When you come to India, you might encounter a bellhop, Jeremy. Although I don't think they wear the same kind of uh, funny hats. Mm. I think it's just sort of like, you know, they've been automated away by uh, elevators. It just like seems like so archaic. now. I, I, I feel like you only encounter them now at like really fancy hotels. Yeah, I think it's because luggage has become yeah. easier to carry. Elevators have made it less of a hassle to manage your own luggage. And when you go to a really fancy hotel, you just leave your luggage at the when you check in and then you go to your room and your luggage is already there. As if by magic. Impossible. Well, that's what the bellhops are for. And of course, they are uh monkeys is it is it bad to compare service workers to uh to animals in funny costumes who's asking who's telling this page gives us confirmation that uh something that we had sort of been talking about in that section is true that 
Quoth named Valyrian in their battle in the in the Fey, and like that's how she kind of like s- decided to stop treating him just like another plaything. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I had sorry I had forgotten that we had gotten this description, so I recall putting that together myself and feeling terribly clever. Mm. But of course, we are told it all but explicitly here. So oopsie doopsie, I suppose. Well, is it possible, Nick, that you did put it together yourself and then when you got to this page in the book, it confirmed your suspicions? It's far more likely that I learned it reading the book and then forgot about it and then thought I was very clever when I pulled it up from my memory a bit later. The way Ellen is talking, he's very much saying like, we will, I, we will continue our studying and you will learn more of this, right? He goes, uh, it gives us something to work toward. Like, it's a very different side of Elodin, almost. This, like, supportive teacher who's, like, completely un- unreluctant about teaching Quoth. Yeah, it feels like he's decided that Quoth is worth his time after all. And, uh, and you know, after doing all this, maybe, you know, and he certainly does seem worth his time. Interesting to me, though, that already he's, like, losing his not like losing his memory but the memory is different hazy as if in a dream wouldn't that not cast into doubt the story he told us it would i thought the same thing unless he has figured out a way to sort of restore that memory later uh, which i suppose is possible but i think we should read that and then go huh, then how are you so sure that everything you told us about your time in Fae is really what happened? Mm -hmm. And I think the character of Quoth that we have been with through all this time is not above embellishment and has told us so many times. I don't doubt that he met Felurian within the context of the story, but who indeed is to say that those details are the actual details and not just what he was able to kind of piece together plus a little bit of Edimura flair? Yeah, and like it it definitely does feel like Elodin's attitude towards Quoth and Quoth's attitude towards Elodin is a lot more collegial. Like it reminds me of like scenes in Oppenheimer, which we saw together where the physicists are kind of working on a, on a tough physics problem or discussing like a new discovery that's happened overseas. And there's this kind of like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. And then if that's true, then ah, you're right, old boy. If that's true, then this is also true. Like it's, it's, it's that kind of yes, like let's to the blackboard. Mm-hmm. Yes, I suppose this is also introducing the idea of naming a person, which is something that I don't think the book has explicitly gone into before. I think we've sort of in- inferred that it might exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly after that sequence with Fleurian, and I, I have, I don't recall being like blindsided by the idea that you might be able to like call a person's name and thus have power over them, but seems to me like this may be setting is setting that up. Like we had Felurian, who is not exactly human. What does it mean to understand a person entire and therefore be able to speak their name and have power over them in the same way? Yeah, I think that is an, an interesting extrapolation of the concept of naming. Like if you can name an object, then can you name a concept? If you can name a concept, can you name a supernatural being? if you can name a supernatural being, can you name a human being? And what does that do? What does that mean? I think that's an interesting extrapolation of the power of naming. Uh, It reminds me of like when, you know, a writer in a superhero comic finds kind of a new, interesting, clever application of a character's power. But it also makes me think, here's my turn to put on the the crackpot theory tinfoil hat. What if Quoth 
tries to name Denna? What if he what if he thinks that he understands Denna entire at some point and tries to name her? What if he's right and that causes something bad to happen? What if he's wrong and that causes something bad to happen? Yeah, my mind went the same place. I think that almost has to like a character who so so clearly wears no name and is always shifting and changing it. That's like and then we have Quoth the born namer who wants to solve puzzles. Uh, and untangled knots it seems like uh, obvious that he would try to to solve that puzzle mm. that is denna and so not only is denna constantly changing her name but she is her nature is mysterious and elusive to quote he doesn't quite get her mm-hmm. she is a puzzle to solve in much the same way um oh i had one more thing i wanted to mention on this uh, oh yes, uh, we actually have seen this before. We and I, it, to be fair, it was another supernatural being, but we have seen Haliax naming Cinder way back in right. the beginning. Uh, Haliax called Ferula and seemingly racked his body with uh, with spasms and pain. Yeah, uh, that is not exactly what we saw happen to Fer Felurian, Ferulian, Ferula, Felurian, hmm. but. Uh, we have yet to see that happen to a mundane human, as far as we know. And but at no point does anyone ever say in the text, ah, Haliax was naming uh, Cinder in that moment and using the power of naming to hurt him. That's something that the reader has to put together. And you really could only put it together on a reread because there's no way for you to know that Feyrule is Cinder's name until you get to the Adem Rhyme in this book. Mm-hmm. Yes, but of course, we have the brain poison that is rereading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I admit to being conflicted over the line about comparative female anatomy on the one hand uh, that's a gross that's a gross joke to make on the other hand is it kind of funny yes I don't know how to feel about it he's when I was first girls. read it I definitely chuckled he's chasing girls exactly and like maybe there's nothing else to it but my my tumblr brain wants to uh, wants to make a post about it wants to make a call out post uh, God save us from call-out posts. This section on the after the Tildebrand on this page illustrates something that I think illustrates. Is, <laughs> whoa, episode title right there. Um, it illustrates like how poverty limits people and how it kind of stifles human growth because Quoth says he doesn't have to like work in the fishery, work long hours in the fishery anymore just to like pay his rent and pay his tuition and keep himself clothed. Now that those basic needs are kind of taken care of and he doesn't have to worry about it. He has time to think he has time to experiment. He has time to research. He has time to noodle. You know, he has like idle brain time that he can put towards his own interests and put towards like his personal projects, which being that Quoth is, I think it's fair to say, like a genius of some kind, his intellectual pursuits could lead to all kinds of wonderful things that could benefit his community. But if he had remained trapped in poverty, if he hadn't got this get out of jail free card from the mayor, he would never be able to do that. And I think that's true of people in our world. And I think it's true of people in Quoth's world. Certainly. And cheating and reading ahead a little more. Uh, he his whole outlook changes. The what he's able to do with his money for himself and for his friends changes his whole attitude toward things. Not to uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in a couple of pages he spends a talent and a half 
on a book and he just describes it as a mere talent and a half. Like it's a bargain mm -hmm. before he would have like never spent a talent and a half on anything. Yeah. There have been, there's for most of this book, Quoth is fortunate when he has two talents to rub together. Yeah. The other thing to point out uh, leading into the next page and the next chapter is that Quoth is about to embark on a study of Yelish knots prompted by his curiosity of the lackless box. There are perhaps a few implications to that not the least of which may be the uh, master linguist's strange illness uh, that he ends the book with, but we'll get into that in a future page. And yes, this is a crackpot theory, although not totally unsupported in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, it's like a hairline crack. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those ones that you fill with gold and it's uh, it's you know ever more beautiful. That's right. The pot is still usable. That's right. Anything else you want to chat about? Not on this page. Well, then let me open up the mail discord we still have the mail bag but now we also have a discord channel for it and you better believe it's full of letters this one is from der plan from germany uh, who is a new writer as far as i know uh, der plan writes hello pagers sorry i'm gonna try really hard not to do that <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that enormous amount of podcast episodes you created that i not too long ago stumbled upon Ever since, you are part of my daily routine, and I really enjoy listening to all your episodes. As for the most recent episode, you related the name of Yax and Lackless. I also raise you to Yax being a luckless boy with a luckless box. Luckless, luckless, lack, you get the idea. To give further tinfoil to discussion, I think the lackless box will at least have the flute mentioned in the story inside, since it is the outer box that is closed by a knot that Yax couldn't open. Hmm. But as always, we will only know by the time book three comes out. After your long journey of book one and two, I would love to hear further episodes from you on the slow regard of silent things to keep us all company while you wait. All the best. Signed, Der Plan from Germany. What is Der Plan? Indeed. I don't know. This is probably bad to immediately launch into a humorous German accent upon uh, getting an earnest letter from a listener from Germany. But You know what? I A podcast that I listen to, the, the host is constantly doing wacky accents and all of his international and like regional listeners are like i'm from texas do a texas accent when you read my letters so i think it's fine all right listeners uh please write in if if you are from a certain region and you want us to impersonate your dialect uh write in and say so and uh, you will be treated to many hours of mirth now as for the letter i think that's an extremely cogent observation uh i think there's a ton of wonderful similarities between the various things that Jack's encounters in that story, not the least of which is the bag with a knot that can't be opened until it is like coaxed open with a special word. I believe he has to ask nicely, right? To get that to open. There's also the idea of the, uh, the folding house. It's like, it starts as a box and then it unfolds into a house. Uh, that's another interesting one. Um, and then the idea that it's the flute that he uses to charm down the moon is also an interesting and a new idea to me. But I take it as a fact that Jax slash Eax slash Yaxless uh, slash Jaxless slash Lackless are all related in some way. That seems to me uh, much like uh, Jon Snow's parentage to be settled law. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add to that because I think, Nick, you hit all the high points. Uh, this is this this pot does not have that many cracks in it as far as I'm concerned. I think that the connection between the lacklaces, the box, jacks, all of this is is grist for the mill. I am I'm I'm milling it. I'm I'm spinning my big millwright's wheel 
Uh, there's a donkey involved. Yeah, I'm grinding it in a pestle. I'm sprinkling it in, sprinkling it onto the surface of my iPad, cutting it up with my credit card, and uh, snorting it down. Listeners, you can enjoy some of that Temerant marching powder on tomorrow's page. Oh, we should start a podcast. Oh. <laughs> bro, bro, you're so f***ing smart. We should start a podcast together. A we small, should totally start a, a podcast. A bite-sized podcast, like small small portions. Yeah, just like 10-minute episodes. You know, maybe the long ones go as long as 17 minutes, but we just like talk about one page of a book. It's just one page of a book every single time. Oh, that's such a good idea.